welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people. The whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! And so now our sermon here for this morning comes from Luke chapter 5. I'll go ahead and read those verses, and then we have a call and response. This is Luke chapter 5. I will be reading starting with verse 17, and then going through verse 26. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Friends, this is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word of God that you have given to the church for all time. Thank you, O Lord, that your scriptures contain the gospels, these four narrative accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew and Mark and John and Luke, from which we have just read. Thank you, O Lord, that whether before or since, there is no one quite like our Lord Jesus. And Lord Jesus, would you be real to us right now by the Holy Spirit, illumine this wonderful passage of Scripture to us. Jesus, thank you that as you caused this paralyzed man to rise, you yourself rose on the cross from the grave, on our behalf, for us and for our salvation. Father, would we know your gracious welcome now, move towards you, move toward each other, as we are broken people ourselves, and move towards our broken world in peace and grace. Do a good work now, we pray, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So my years of experience as a pastor and then also as a person as I consider community. Community is a profound engine both for healing, 
but also for harm. Community is an engine profoundly both for healing and also for harm. It goes both ways. And I feel that with church community as well. Over the years, church community, stories that bubble up to me from church community and also my experiences directly, have brought or driven me to tears, both in the good ways and in the sad ways. But so many of my favorite stories of Jesus being at work have occurred over the years in the context of church community. Here's one such redemption story. In my previous church context, when my wife Emily and I with our family, we moved into the area, we met a family that was very much on the fringes of the church. And they seemed like they had been damaged in one way or another. But we got to know them. And sure enough, they had been hurt as individuals, as a family, and in the context of previous church experiences. And you could tell they they acted wounded, they acted scared. But then over time, we engaged with them and they engaged with us. And sure, Emily and I, we had a couple conversations with the husband and the wife with some of their past hope, with some of their past hurts. But then by and large, they just fell into some of the rhythms and routines of church stuff. Fast forward a couple of years and another family friend of ours came. This family came back to this area and visited. They had been with that church in an earlier period, had moved out of the area, and then came back just to visit and catch up. And after being in our church family again for a weekend, the one thing that they kept talking about more than anything else was this one family. They said, Jim, Emily, it is night and day how different this family is. When we were here before, these folks were the fringiest of fringe in terms of church engagement. But they have moved just over the course of these two years from being fringy to flourishing. They're so involved. They're so engaged in so many different ways. They're serving. They're leading. And they said, boy, they needed this, but we needed this as well. Jesus' healing is here. And we see it in the life of this family. And it wasn't just one thing that caused this shift to happen in this family over time except you might say, maybe the grace of God. But the grace of God playing itself out in different spheres in the life of the church, in the context of word and sacrament, those ministries, in the context of time unfolding periodically and over a stretch, and in the context of the grace of God working itself out within the people of God, this family was changed, this family was healed, by community. But so often, I see it go in the other direction too. So there are redemption stories, but there are also tragic ones as well. And for the tragedies, in my mind, there are different categories of folks that when they attach ourselves to a church that I pastor, I think, chances are they're not going to stick with us. And one of the biggest categories, maybe the biggest, is when folks engage with us, whom I can tell or whether they tell me, that they have had hurts put upon them by community, including church community. You see, that family that I just told you about, they're the exception to the rule. But then when these families, they come, or these individuals, they come, yes, I engage them, I invite them to stuff. 
But then in the back of my mind, and I hope that I'm proven wrong, sometimes I am, but often that I'm not, I can think in my heart of hearts, these people, because of their past hurts in the context of community, they are never going to trust me as a leader. They never are. They're never going to trust other leaders at church. And I get the sense that as they're with our church community, when things get hard or even a little bit uncomfortable in some cases, they're going to split. So I feel the weight. Community, a profound engine, both for healing and then also for harm. And on my bad days, I can think to myself, why am I even doing this? Why am I spending all of this time myself engaging in community? Because I get hurt too. It would be better to be alone. But here's the thing with being alone. If I'm alone, or if you're alone, you might get hurt less, but you'll also heal less. You might get hurt less if you withdraw from community with other people, but you're also missing out on some healing. And I love the church of Jesus Christ because within the church of Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, crucified and resurrected, and Jesus healing happens here. So in three brief parts from this point this morning, let's talk about healing dynamics of community in Jesus Three different sets of dynamics. Passive and active, that's one dynamic. Another one is sin and grace. Then I want to talk about unsafe and safe, but various kinds of healing dynamics in the context of Jesus and community. So here we are once again. We are in a ministry emphasis for this school year talking about community. Really important. Really important anyway. Really important as well in the context of Pandemic that still seems to be going around. It's really hard to connect and stay connected with with one another. We need to do that and be that within our church community and outside of our church community too. And with this sermon series, we're talking about community and tying the sermon series to a book that came out recently by a pastor named Rusty George. It's called, oh man, I blank out sometimes. It's a book about community. Better Together, that's what it's called. Discovering the Power of Community by Rusty George, and we're in chapter 7 here this morning, and it talks about how healing happens together. And as I saw the title for this chapter, I chuckled ruefully. I gave a chortle full of rue. Saw that title, Healing Happens Together, I thought to myself, or not. It goes both ways. Hurting happens together too. So we feel the weight of community as this engine of profound healing, but then also of hurt, also of harm. And I love Luke chapter 5. The sermon text for this morning is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. I remember just as a college student, myself and Emily, we were in the Navigators Christian Fellowship at our school, and Craig Parker loved the guy, still doing campus ministry. This was one of his favorite passages, Luke chapter 5, and I still remember the outline that he would use when he would talk about this passage. So this is a healing miracle by Jesus. There are lots of healing miracles in the four narrative accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But this is one of the healing miracles that also takes place with community involved too. So we have this paralyzed man, this paralytic, 
But it's not just him. He has friends, and his friend realized Jesus is coming into town. We have got to get him to Jesus, verses 18 and 19 of Luke chapter 5. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. They must have loved this guy because that took a lot of work. And even so, probably we're talking about an open-air situation, probably wasn't a fixed hard roof, but still, no elevator. Probably difficult to lower this guy in, but they loved their friend, this paralyzed man, so much that they did. And for generations, readers of this story have been intrigued by, chap- by verse 20 of chapter 5, where we see, when Jesus saw their faith. It doesn't say, when Jesus saw the faith of this paralyzed man, when Jesus saw their faith collectively together, and this is what I'm calling here for a minute, as we talk about the passive and active dynamics of healing dynamics and community with Jesus, this is the passive part. Think about it. The paralyzed man did not bring himself to Jesus. He was a passive actor, and all of his friends were the ones that lowered him down. So passively speaking, these folks were in community with one another, must have been for a long period of time. There is no substitute as we think about community for spending time with one another. But that's also a challenge. One of my favorite authors of the late 20th century, an author named Robert Stone, he died a few years ago. I think I've read all of his fiction, but this past year, a collection of essays was published. So I thought, oh, this is kind of nice. A new book of essays by one of my favorite authors. And in one of those essays I just read recently, he said this about other people. Our having each other is both the good news and the bad. And when I read that line, I thought to myself, Robert Stone This is why you are one of my favorite authors. The problem with people is people. Our having each other is both the good news and the bad. That's why community is challenging. We've talked before in the sermon series about how time is an idolatry to us. For many of us in our life circumstances, time is the most precious commodity that we have. And by that same measure, that's what we idolize the most. I might even throw some money at you. I'll like your posts on Facebook. But if you want me to spend time with you, no way. I just don't have any to spare. And so we skimp and scrounge on our time. And I've said likewise earlier in the sermon series that we love those people that practice a ministry of presence. They show up. They give time. And because being with other people is both the good news and the bad news, isn't it the case that we can go through phases with community? We can start in community, it might feel really good, but then it gets really hard. But if we stick with it, we're softened all over again, and then it gets even better. One of the quotes that I hadn't seen before in the book, Better Together by Rusty George, was a quote by a guy named Jean Vanier, a French Roman Catholic priest and philosopher who said this about community. A little bit of a long quote, but bear with me. Almost everyone finds their early days in a community ideal. 
it all seems perfect. Talking about church. They, they feel they are surrounded by saints, heroes, or at the least, most exceptional people who are everything they want themselves to be. And then comes the letdown. The greater their idealization of the community at the start, the greater their disenchantment. If people manage to get through this second period, however, they come to a third phase, that of realism and of true commitment. They no longer see other members of the community as saints or devils, but as people, each with a mixture of good and bad, darkness and light, each growing and each with their own hope. The community is neither heaven nor hell, but planted firmly on the earth, and they are ready to walk in it and with it. They accept the community and the other members as they are. They are confident that together they can grow towards something more beautiful. Maybe you've experienced yourself that third phase. Maybe, and I hope and pray, you've experienced that third phase here at Liberty Collingswood, where we've been through good times and we've been through hard times. But here we are, still with each other, illusions out the window, but together, broken people seeking Jesus and needing his grace. That is a beautiful thing, as passively we engage and spend time with one another, but then there are active inflection points too. It wasn't all just being together for this paralyzed man and some friends. Jesus was coming to town. And so they snapped into action, not just any day, but today. Maybe Jesus can heal our friend. And so when we're engaged with others in community, there are points at which, wow, this friend needs me not any day, but today. Not any period of this friend's life, but right now. I need to show up at this moment. And so we take action steps. And so I ask you, what are some of your action steps that you might take either of engaging people over a long period of time, building friendships, and then those inflected points of action? Healing happens there. So that's one of the healing dynamics of Jesus and community, passive and active. Let's talk as well about sin and grace. So this is a healing miracle in Luke chapter 5. But it's not just a healing miracle. Or maybe to put it better, it's a healing miracle that goes really deep. We're not done with the intrigue or surprises from verse 20 of Luke chapter 5. The paralyzed man is lowered down. And when Jesus sees their faith, this is what he says. Man, your sins are forgiven you. One would have expected at this point, hey, let me heal you. Let's see if you can walk again. That would be great. No, it doesn't go in that direction. Man, your sins are forgiven you. And you can imagine the surprise. Wait a second. We didn't think that we were talking about forgiveness of sins right now. And certainly it triggers the scribes and Pharisees, the adversaries here in this story, because they say, wait a second. Who is this, verse 21, that blasphemes? Who can forgive sins but God alone? We may be able to tolerate and abide the parlor trick, so to speak, of maybe this person can walk again, but forgiveness of sins, sure, there are faith healers everywhere, but forgiving sins, that's for God alone. And it's as if Jesus says, you know what? Now you're on the right track. And it's like Jesus talks them through this back and forth. Verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. 
And it seems that the logic behind these rhetorical questions is that Jesus is intimating, it would be easier for me just to say, rise, take up your mat, and go home. But I am after not just a surface healing, but a deeper work, a deeper healing as well, forgiveness of sins. That's the hard part. That's what Jesus is going for. And so he tells the room, verse 24, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. That is community healing in terms of sin and grace. And I said at the beginning of the sermon series one more time, community is everywhere. It's not just in the church, it's everywhere. Community is in coffee shops, it's in CrossFit gyms, it's at libraries. And I wonder to myself sometimes, what makes church community unique compared to all of these other things? And sometimes, and this includes myself and my own church, which is this church, Liberty Church Collingswood, when we talk about community, it can sometimes feel like we have something, namely community, that nobody else has. That's simply not the case. It's as if you're sitting around at Halloween saying, what are we going to do? Hey, I have this great idea for this Halloween. Nobody's going to scoop us on this. We're going to pass out candy to people that come and visit. Nobody's expecting this, but as a church, we're going to do it different. Instead of full-size candy bars, we're going to give them nickels and little canisters or boxes of raisins. It's going to be great. No, I grant, community is everywhere, and it's worth asking the question, what makes church community unique? Well, among other things, sin and grace. In my mind and in my experience, that occurs, sin and grace, as a healing dynamic in the context of the church of Jesus Christ. You might think, well, talk about sin. That actually makes it worse than your average community. You're just going to make people feel guilty and they're going to be ashamed. And I would say that might be the case if it's only sin and no grace. But then on the other hand, if there is grace, we can talk about sin in healthy and healing ways. And this is a point of conversation, a point of reckoning. If you're tuning in here this morning as somebody who's seeking or weighing spiritual realities or is skeptical of anything spiritual, including anything spiritual that's Christian, I would love to have these conversations with you in person or over Zoom. What do we do? How can there be true healing within the context of community if there is no context for sin? You see, I think the concept of sin is really helpful in the midst of community because sin helps us to name wrongs and helps us to have a vocabulary by which we work through in community with one another the rhythms and the practices not only of sin but also of repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. And all of that is really good. And as I look out at Context where there are no sin, it's really hard to have hard conversations. And we're left with just how we feel. Well, I feel this way. Oh, you feel that way? I feel this way. How do we have a conversation of conflict when we're just talking about how we feel? Or we're left with the language of offense, which is good as far as it goes, but it doesn't always go far enough. Maybe you've been in a situation, whether a family environment, 
or a work environment when somebody says, I feel offended by what you did. But then you're sitting there thinking, uh, I think you're wrong to be offended. Where do you go with that? It's this awkward conversation of apology where somebody says, I'm sorry that you were offended, but if you're on the receiving end of harm, you might think, well, that doesn't really feel like a real apology. You're sorry that I was offended. Did you think you did something wrong or not? Or you might be thinking, if this person was wrong to be offended, why am I giving this faux apology at all? And then we're left to just majority rule, where you're fired from your job, and the firing goes something like this. Hey, I'm really sorry if this offends you. We're not really sure what to do, but somebody was offended and you're fired. Or you were offended, maybe in a deep way at work, and that person's not fired or not disciplined, and you're thinking, what else do I have to do to get somebody's attention around here? In the church of Jesus Christ, there are tools. There is a vocabulary for hard conversations just like that. And then in the context of the church, we are able with one another to have those hard conversations and move from being a community not only of transparency, but also truthfulness. Transparency is great, but it's not just mere transparency that we're going for. We are going for those hard, truthful conversations too, again, under the rubric, under the umbrella of grace. Have you been in a church community? where you said to somebody else, a brother and sister, hey, I see what's going on over here with you, what you're doing. Do you mind if we open the Bible and see how these things are aligning with what God says? I'm, I'm not a perfect observer, but just help, help me fill in some pieces here. Let's go back to the scriptures. There are probably some of us that are watching saying, I would never feel comfortable doing that with a brother and sister in Christ. Well, I, I feel that same level of discomfort, like, whoa, that's going a step too far. Well, I would say to all of us, let's be less secular and more Christian, because there is so much in the scriptures that talk about encouraging one another and strengthening one another. We can't do that without having back and forth truthful conversations. And those things are actually really helpful and healthy. And I understand there are some church contexts where people are so judgy of one another and people weaponize the Bible and use it against each other in really harmful ways. Yes, that is a danger. But I would also observe, as I think about our own church, Liberty Collingswood, I don't really think that's our danger. And if it ever becomes our danger, I will be vigilant in pushing back against that. Let's move from the other pole, rather, into the healthy middle ground where we are seeking to find healing from Jesus together, like the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, as the grace of Jesus is poured out on one another, as we drink in and glory in and take joy in and exult in, telling one another, yeah, we mess up. Starting with me, as Paul says, the chief of sinners, as whom I whom I am the worst. But isn't the grace of Jesus great so that we can find forgiveness and we can find true healing because Jesus died and rose again at great and deep cost? So there are steps that you might take towards truthfulness with one another under the rubric of grace. Now finally, healing dynamics in the context of Jesus and community. Let's talk about unsafe and safe. Let's admit to one another, here we are in 2020, we are all on edge. We are all fragile. We are on all one straw away from our camel's backs being broken. 
And we take that fragility into our relationships. And relationships, maybe in new and fresh ways, feel more unsafe than they ever have before. We feel that fragility, and that happens sometimes in the church. And it can feel unsafe. Maybe in a church context before, you you feel that you've been misunderstood or misused. Maybe you've been burned by church community by virtue of oversharing, where somebody has used you like a liver, and they've just dumped on you. And you feel overshared with, and wow, that was like way too honest. How can we heal? How can we take steps? Well, let's recognize, for one part, the alternative is being alone, and we really don't want to do that, do we? Robert Stone, one last time. In the absence of others' honesty, people are abandoned to the beating of their own hearts. In the absence of being with other people, we are just abandoned to the beatings of our own hearts, where the only sound we hear is not of conversation and prayer for one another, but the thump-thump, beat-beat of our own hearts. But one of the ways in which I feel the community in the church of Jesus is so gripping is that we can move from fragility in our relationships to places that are deep and secure and robust. Jesus makes us safe. If you believe in Jesus and the good news of his gospel, you are secure in him, and because you are safe in Jesus, you can be a little bit risky and unsafe in your relationships. Now, don't go crazy in terms of unsafe, but there is maybe another step that you can take because of your security in Jesus. And I would encourage you to build more reach relationships with other people. Maybe people at church, maybe people outside of church. Maybe just in, in your communities. Maybe at school if you're a student. Maybe your workplace. And maybe it's a reach relationship across a racial divide. And again, we grieve the racial turmoil and furor as Walter Wallace was killed in West Philly this past week as again, Realities and issues of racial injustice and policing come to us again. Maybe you build a reach relationship in that direction. Or you might not know this, but there is an election on Tuesday. Joanna's going to pray for that in just a minute here. Maybe a reach relationship for you is finding a processing partner after this relation, after this election in relationship across a political divide where somebody's going to need processing. Maybe you are process with somebody, maybe not exactly like you, but let your differences help you to process together. Or maybe it's a risk or reach relationship with somebody whose personality is just polarizingly different from yours. But you say, for the sake of Jesus and the glory of practicing, as we'll confess here in a second, the communion of the saints, making it a reality, I am going to practice community, communion, with this other person, and you know what? I'm going to stay there, and I'm going to cry out for the grace of Jesus Christ and ask that I might find healing here. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now please go ahead and turn in your worship folder to page 5 of our worship PDF. We have here, I spoiled it just a second ago, we're going to talk about the communion of saints and other things in the context of the Apostles' Creed. In the words of this ancient formulary now, let us say what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, 
the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Once he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.